Hey, I'm Jesse. It's devotion time. Today, we're looking at the second of the five scriptures that I use when I share the gospel, that you can use as well. This is Romans 3.23. It's an important verse, I think, to include because it addresses the reason we need to be saved. All right, here it is in its larger context. In Romans chapter 3, Paul begins by explaining the advantage that the Jew has. Remember, the larger mission of the book of Romans is to explain how God sovereignly elected Israel as his chosen nation. So that now, because of what Jesus has done, Gentiles can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And in Romans chapter 3, he begins by explaining everything that God has done through uh, through the Israelites, you know, and everything that God, everything that God has accomplished through them and, and how like God is totally right in declaring his wrath upon sin. He says in verse, in, in verse four, uh, let God be true, even though everyone is a liar, that God may be proven right when he judges. And then he goes on in Romans nine, uh, Romans three verses nine through 18 to quote from Psalms and a brief line from Ecclesiastes. And it's, uh, it's about just the depravity of mankind. How, like we've all sinned. There's no one who's righteous, not even one. I'll read from that portion and give you a running start into verse 23, which is one of those five verses. What then are we better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. Okay, remember the larger mission of Romans. It's, he's saying Jews and Gentiles alike have sinned. As it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There's no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So these are, these are uh, quotes from Psalms and Ecclesiastes describing total depravity. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. It's like everyone in the world just shut up and sit your sinful tail down and listen to God. No one will be justified in his sight by works of the law because knowledge of sin comes through the law. This is also a great verse to share with Mormons. I had more Mormons come to my house last week, and this is one, one thing that we shared with them. And I was like, man, the fact that you are on mission at my house right now makes you think that you're being righteous. You think that you're saving yourself, but this has nothing to do with your past sins. This has nothing to do with, this nothing to do with repentance. That's why you're here, even here preaching a false gospel on my doorstep. And, and th this is not going to save you. And Romans 3.20 is an excellent verse for exactly that. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. We established total depravity in Romans chapter 3. No one's justified by works of the law. Rather, the law makes us conscious of sin. Uh, think on Ray Comfort's method using the same thing, asking people, have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever lied? Have you ever hated someone? And, you know, by your own admission, you're a murderer, you're a thief, you're an adulterer, what have you. Like, by, do you think that 
God would let you into heaven on that basis. And so then from there, he transitions straight to the gospel, straight to the grace. You know, the law, meaning the Old Testament law, makes us conscious of sin. We look at the Ten Commandments and we see like, man, not one of us is measuring up. Every one of us has fallen short at some point. Uh, and now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested to by the law and the prophets. Everything from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, everything in Ezekiel through Malachi, all of it points to this new righteousness. It's simply this, faith in Jesus Christ. That's righteousness for everyone who believes. And in this new righteousness, there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Remember again, the overarching mission of the book of Romans. That's the context for verse number two of the five. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption. Yeah, redemption, church. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him an atoning sacrifice in his blood, received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. How awesome is that? We just opened this chapter with this long barrage, this brutal cataloging of Psalms and Ecclesiastes quotes talking about how no one is righteous, not even one. We're all a bunch of vipers and our mouths are open graves and we're swift to shed blood. Everything's really bad. And then we continue in Romans chapter three and we see that God has looked over the sins previously committed and God presented to him, uh, presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. That's the pericope, meaning the text around the main verse of Romans 3.23, all have sinned. People don't know they need to be saved unless they know what they're being saved from. The moral argument for God, as we taught in uh, the penultimate sermon of our Reason for Hope series, leads someone to conviction because we believe in an authoritative morality. We see that the word of God is the only thing in the universe that accounts for that morality that we, to our very mirror of our bones, know to be authoritative and true and actual. And we find ourselves wanting when juxtaposed with that standard. So this conviction that comes for our sin, this conviction that comes for our sin predicates the grace of the gospel. We see that we need to be saved. We confess, I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is an important step. If you spend all of your evangelistic life trying to make people who need Jesus feel good about themselves, all you're doing is affirming their virtue signaling. All you're doing is telling them that snake oil they're drinking is saving them. No, let them come under conviction by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what it's like when you sin, you feel the Holy Spirit's conviction? That's evidence that you're God's child, but the person you're sharing the gospel with is feeling it for the very first time. So don't tell them what an awesome and great and perfect person they are. Rather, rather, let the Holy Spirit bring conviction for the sinners they have been, and then they would come to repentance. It's important, I believe, to include Romans 3.23 in a gospel presentation. If you want, you can tack on the very next verse or the verse prior. You can make it Romans 3.21 through 24, and it's a, it's a really powerful and comprehensive gospel presentation as well. So when it comes time to actually sit down, share the gospel with someone, this passage is, is profoundly helpful for exactly exactly that. This is Romans 3.23. God's gonna use it to change someone's eternity today. Are you ready? Go make disciples.